So this last few weeks, I've been sharing about uh, wells and loving Jesus. And have we got that slide there, Phil? We've been asking these sorts of questions. I know we've been asking them in life groups as well. Wherever you found refreshing, wherever you're gonna be filled up, wherever you rested, we've explored this whole idea of, whole idea of where we go for rest, fulfillment, uh, restoration, recharging, whatever you wanna say it. And um, I said uh, when I last taught that much of our issue comes from how we see ourselves. So we said uh, this, if we see ourselves as primarily a physical person who has a spirit, we prioritize meeting our physical needs. And if we see ourselves primarily as a spiritual person with a physicality, we prioritize meeting our spiritual needs, our physical needs. You get the idea, it's up there, isn't it? Um, and I realized that, I kind of said that and then moved on to something else. And then I realized that was quite a big statement to make uh, and just kind of drop in there. So I thought we'd explore this statement a little bit today um, and then move on to something else towards the end. Um, because I asked that question in life groups, whether you see yourself as primarily physical or spiritual. And uh, I know in some groups, the kind of majority was, well, I, to be honest, I see myself as physical because that's what shouts loudest. And I understand that because your physical body shouts loudest. It says that you are hungry and you are tired and it says you need love and it says you need all these sorts of things. You have appetites and drives for all sorts of things and it shouts very loud for those things. And... Um, but actually, to succeed in this life, to properly succeed and live it well, you need to become more aware of your spirituality. Uh, because the battle for your life is found when you feed your spirit, not when you feed your body. And in order to do that, you have to understand that you are primarily spiritual. And not just understand it when I talk about it now, but understand it every day, uh, as I'm going to explore. Uh, because your body does not feel depressed. Your body does not feel anxious. Your body does not feel stress. Your body does not feel rejection. Your body does not feel abandonment. Your body does not feel unloved. Of course, that often gets expressed in your body, but it doesn't start there. So your stress might come out in all sorts of different ways in your physicality, but it's not where it actually starts. It starts somewhere else. Fear is about your mind. Rejection is about your mind. Anxiety is about your mind. And the key for winning the battle in these things He's learned to be strong in spirit, which is what Jesus learned when he was 12 years old. He became strong in spirit, which then overcomes your mind. So these things come out in your body. So if you feel stress in your body, you can go every week for a massage, and that will, of course, help. That's a beautiful thing to do. But as well as doing that, the real answer is trying to work out why you are so tense in the first place. Because otherwise, you are just dealing with the physical symptoms of an underlying problem. It's the same if you suffer from anxiety. You can go to the doctor and she will prescribe you some pills, which is great and that may well help you. But the real answer is found in exploring why you are anxious, what your thoughts are about you and those around you, and learning to be strong in spirit as Jesus was, which overcomes your mind. But in all of this, if we are primarily physical people, then every problem we come across, we look for a physical answer. And I realized the Lord even spoke to, just spoke to me about this this week. So when we are ill, like lots of you have been with this flu thing that goes round, we instantly go, I need to go and get some lenses or some this or some that or some cold and flu tablets and we go to the shop and we spend our money on that. And of course, that may well help because that helps relief, the head pain and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, surely if you are a spirit, we should be thinking, I need to pray. Maybe I need to take communion every time I take these things. Maybe I need to invite the power of God into my life as well as the pills. But many of us don't, most of us, the mass, I've not really thought like that, to be honest. I've not really 
thought spiritually enough about where things are at. Because you just get so consumed in this life and what's going on, and you go, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll go to the doctor, I'll go here, all good stuff. But ultimately, you are a spiritual person. And there are some spiritual tools at your disposal that can help. I'm not saying don't take the pills, don't go to the doctor. I'm just saying you have to do what you're faith for in the place you are in. That's the right thing to do. But maybe there's some things. So let's take, for example, finance. If you're struggling with finance and you see the world primarily as a physical world, you'll start looking for another source of income or reduce your outgoings. All good. But when you understand the world is more than that, you might start to see it from another angle. You might ask some deeper questions like, what do I believe about money? What do I believe about me? Is poverty my destiny? Do I deserve to be poor? Am I worth enough to be paid a decent wage? Could I get a job that pays more? Am I, or am I destined to always do the job I'm doing now? You see, the answer is probably right down there somewhere because you can reduce your outgoings and you can get all the jobs you want, but if you believe you're destined to be poor, you'll always be poor. No matter what. Because it's all about this spirit. And you can do everything in the physical world to change it, but actually nothing will change. But the challenge, of course, is we get so consumed with this physical world and because everything around us shouts about we as well, then it's very difficult to re remember. So I want to, I want to remind you once again of who you are. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, which by the way doesn't mean at the beginning, okay? In the beginning means in the place of no created thing. It means when there was nothing. It means when nothing existed. So when nothing existed in the place of no created thing, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So this God, it really means gods, because it's plural, it means kings, rulers, princes. Created, so this God, he creates things. And then it seems this God is spirit, because it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then it seems this God speaks, because there's a word, let there be light. And in the first three verses of the Bible, you understand there's a trinity. There's a God, and there's a spirit, and there's a word, Jesus. But that's not really the point right now. The point is this. There is this God, this Elohim, and this Elohim creates. Elohim is the Hebrew word for God there. Elohim creates, and then Elohim is spirit, and then Elohim is word. And that's important because in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, we read this. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. So if God is creator and spirit and word, and you are made in his image, you are creator and spirit and word. Is that not true? If you're made like him, you must be also a creator, you must also be spirit, and you must also be word. But I want to show you how powerful it is by taking you through the creation story. I don't know what you think about it, whether you take it as literal or just a story, but to be honest, they're all the wrong questions, okay? Whether it happened in seven days or seven years, they're all the wrong questions. The right questions are, who am I? Who is God? Why are we here? What's the basis of everything? They're the questions to ask about the creation story. Because it makes sense to me to start a book with some answers to the biggest questions you ask. That's what Genesis tells you about. That's what creation, the creation story is about giving you answers to your big questions. Who am I and what life's all about? And, and who, who, where's my identity and where am I found? And it's all in this thing. Uh, let's whiz on from that. So, 
Uh, have we got that next slide? I've shown you this before about last year, but I want to I remind you. Okay, so we've got God, and God is I am. So, so when, when Moses says once a name, God goes I am, which is perhaps the most unhelpful name in the whole world. Uh, but I am is actually very powerful because I am means I am who I am. And I am everything. And I am means you can't put me in a box. And what you find as you go on with Jesus is you kind of tend to work him out a little bit and you go, I know how God works now. And then you put him in this little box and then God does something immediately that goes outside that box. And then you put him in a bigger box. They go, ah, now I've got him all sorted. And then immediately God does something outside that box. And so the trick is, don't put him in a box. The whole of the New Testament is that he got out of a box. He was in a box, the Ark of the Covenant. He got out of that box. That's the whole point of Jesus' death, is that he's not in a box anymore. So don't go putting him back in one. Because he were very delighted to get out of it. That's why when Jesus died, the curtain ripped from top to bottom. Because Jesus is, God's going, praise God, I'm out of this flipping tiny little space now. I can actually go and impact people and be in people and have the joy and delight of being with you. So, I am, spirit, act, create, breathe. These are all spiritual things. Now, as you read through the creation story, which we're not going to do, you find day one, he creates light and dark. Day two, what? Sky. Day three, land and sea. Day four, things to fill day one. Day five, things to fill day two. And day six, things to fill day three. That's what he does in the creation poem. And there's loads there, but we're not going to it. So, and then he creates... Da, 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 you! <laughs> so there's all this... There's these spaces and atmospheres that he creates, and then he creates these incredible things that fill these spaces, and it's kind of like, okay, I've created these three spaces, and now I'm going to fill these spaces, and then we're going to do something even more fantastic than that, who's going to fill and rule over all these spaces and things, and we're going to create you. And when we realise as creation flows on, it becomes increasingly beautiful, complex, advanced, it becomes amazing. But then we read in Genesis 2 and verse 7 this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now at that moment, it wasn't that man was created and his lungs were empty of oxygen. Because if that was so, he'd have had to breathe on every animal, and the animals, it says, didn't get breathed on. They just got created and walked off and snorted and did whatever animals do. But you, you were breathed in with the breath of God. And that breath was not just oxygen, it was the actual spirit of God that keeps you alive. Which is why in Job, you read a few times, Job goes, if God should withdraw his breath, all flesh will perish. And in Hebrew, the word spirit and breath are the same word. So it means the same thing. So when he withdraws his breath, it means everybody's going to die because his breath is in you now. And God could still do that because you are alive, you're a living being, a soul. It's what makes you different from all the animals. You have got the spirit of God in you. The breath of God lives in you, and that makes you completely unique from every animal, as much as I now love animals, because I've got my dog. <laughs> and and I now, now I've decided dogs go to heaven, because I've got my dog. <laughs> A little change in theology, but it's all right. <laughs> I'm not that loose in my theology, honestly. But I do love my dog. Anyways. Um, oh, yeah. Next slide. So, what happens is this. When God makes you... It's the joining of heaven and earth. You are the joining of heaven and earth come together. You are it. So when they come together, you are earth, and God puts his breath in you, and you are this fusion of the two. So you are, and I know this annoys people when I say it, 100% spiritual and 100% physical. 
you are a joining of the two. Okay? I know that's impossible in maths, but just let me have it, all right? You are, but you are this spiritual being as well as a physical being. It's not either or. It's not, oh, I'm physical now. Oh, now I'm spiritual. Oh, now I'm physical. Oh, I'm in church and feeling the Holy Spirit, so now I'm more spiritual. No, you are both all the time. No matter what you are doing or where you are doing it, you are both. The issue, of course, is whether you are conscious of it. That's the issue. And that's the journey, really, we have to go on. And because your body screams so loudly, we are more often conscious of our body, and therefore we treat the effects and the needs and the desires and the appetites of the body. And it's not that, it's not that they're wrong. There's nothing wrong with some of those appetites of the body, although how you feed them may be wrong, but there's nothing wrong with them. But the issue is, there is a need to become more aware of the needs of our spirit and our communion with him. And as I said to you a few weeks ago, one of the ways of doing that is to fast. And fasting, again, is this idea that you go without something physical in order to interact greater with God, basically. And fasting can be anything. It doesn't have to be food. It could be um, chocolate. It could be sugar. It could be books. It could be the TV. It could be coffee. It could be anything. But this idea is when you go without something, you don't just go without something and then complain that you're going without something, okay? You spend that time that is meeting a need of yours. So, so you don't fast from something you don't like, all right? You can't fast from broccoli, all right? <laughs> I don't work very well, okay? Or green beans or whatever other vegetables or sprouts or whatever else it is, okay? You've got to fast from something like chocolate, all right? Or sweets or a TV program you love or buying clothes or whatever it is that you love to do, whatever it is that you think gives you life, Whatever it is that when you go, oh, I just need that, that's the thing to fast from because that's the thing that your body craves because that's the thing where you go to because you don't need to go there because you need to go to Jesus and I'm going to run out of stage in a minute. <laughs> but you see, the whole, the whole point is, and maybe a few of you have got to think about this. Okay, what, what is it? And I've done this before. I, I know that I love chocolate. I love it. Not Galaxy Dairy Milk, okay? But I do enjoy Galaxy, but... Dairy milk's just, dairy milk crunchies, they're like, fair gets dime, it's like just, she gave me a piece of the day, I was like, I don't want your chocolate, though, it's rubbish. <laughs> but anyway, and I know I feel like a sugar rush, and if I feel a bit down and a bit low, I know I will eat a bar of chocolate, and then I feel a bit better. So for a month, I gave it up entirely. I gave it up completely. I didn't have any chocolate anywhere. And I was all right, I managed it. But it, it made me more aware now of, okay, I recognise that now. Until you give it up, you don't recognise it, you say, you just do it. There'll be things that you automatically do and places you automatically go, things you automatically eat or watch or ring up or whatever, when you're in that kind of place of need, there'll be somewhere that you go, and if you can identify it, and it might not be a bad thing, you know, chocolate's not bad, I mean, he made it for my delight and enjoyment. Okay, I'm, I'm, that's my theology as well. He made it for my delight and enjoyment. It is, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He made all things for our enjoyment. But if I go somewhere instead of him, I feed my body, not my spirit. And I get a short-term sugar rush for an hour that makes me feel better, but it actually doesn't do anything to me other than empty my wallet and put a few pounds on me. Well, not yet, because I'm still doing pretty good. But it will do. So there's this battle all the time about, okay, I've, I've got these needs, appetites, desires, whatever, and I'm generally going to go this way. 
And so one of the ways to, to, to help you go, okay, I am going to become more conscious of what really helps is by recognizing where you go first of all and then going somewhere else. And don't make it difficult. Like, don't make it super difficult so you're going to fail on day one. Make it achievable. Often with these things, we go, oh, yes, I'm going to fast. I'm going to give up everything that I love. And then three days in, we just like, oh, I failed. Like, make it achievable. Make it realistic. Make it something that you're going to actually feel good after afterwards because that'll spur you on. It's like when we do diets. We decide we're going to lose 10 pounds in 10 days. And then after nine days, we've lost a pound. We get all upset and give it up. You have to choose something that's realistic, something that's going to actually work. I have no idea what I am on these notes now. Um, okay, yeah, let's go. Yeah. You see, lots of us, though, in this, it, there's this kind of balance that we have to do because Jesus never denied his humanity. In fact, Jesus embraced his humanity. Jesus referred to himself almost always using the term son of man. Uh, he primarily, he never went, or very rarely went, I'm the son of God. If anybody asked him, he went, I'm the son of man. He identified primarily with his humanity because his humanity was good, because his humanity wasn't flawed and scarred like yours is. But he actually embraced it. And sometimes we seem to want to get rid of our humanity. We talk about becoming more spiritual, about being more like Jesus. And we tend to think he had this kind of divine nature, and if we just got rid of all our humanity and all our needs and all our desires, then that would be wonderful. But Jesus does not get rid of it. He embraces it because he knows it was good. Because God looked at Adam and went, that is good. Adam had needs. Adam had all the needs and appetites that you have. And God went, that's good. But Adam didn't choose to fulfill those needs and appetites in the right way. And that's when it went wrong. There's nothing wrong with your needs and appetites. But how you fulfill them will either help you or hinder you. That's the issue. You see, the life of God lives and breathes on the inside of you, inside your humanity. That's why Paul in the Bible can say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. One author says this, we still think of ourselves as mere humans desperately trying to become spiritual. When the biblical revelation is precise that you are already spiritual and your difficult but necessary task is to learn how to be human. Jesus came to model a full integration for us and in effect told us that divinity looked just like him, while he looked ordinarily human to everybody else. What, what does it mean to be like Jesus? What does it mean to be like him? It means to enjoy and exist in your humanity and meet all those needs in the right way. That's what it really means. It means to enjoy your humanity, to express your humanity, to express the difference that you are in your humanity, but in doing so, you are doing that in all the right ways. Ways which are always motivated by love. Maybe we have to elevate our vision of humanity to what Jesus was like. He came to express humanity in all its fullness. You see, my test now is to allow all that I have from Jesus, his breath in me, to influence all the ways I act inhumanly. Judging people is inhumane. Believing you are inherently bad or unlovable or rejected is inhumane. Greed is inhumane. Selfishness is inhumane. Putting on a front is inhumane. Living a lie is inhumane. Fear is inhumane. Jealousy is inhumane. Living up with built-up pain is inhumane. It's all inhumane. 
but we think that's real and we have to get rid of it. Yes, of course, there's a way to live in a different way, but that don't mean getting rid of my humanity with it. You were not designed to live with any of those things because you were made in the image of God and he doesn't know any of them. Finally, in trying to find and go back to our humanity, we must recognise one fact. Your journey is your journey. And the way you discovered more and more of your humanity is exactly that. It's the way you discovered more and more of your humanity. What I have seen time and time again is people have made progress in their own journey and then insist that those around them must take their path. But you, you found out where you're at in Jesus your way. And of course, that worked for you. And that's beautiful. But as I was trying to share last time, there are all these different ways to knowing Jesus more. And your way is wonderful because you got there. And there are some principles you probably learned that you can share. But those, those ways may not be everybody else's way. So we have to make sure when we share with people that we don't put God in a box and go, this is how I got to know Jesus. This is how you're going to get to know Jesus. Because that reduces him to this box that he's already grown out of. We must give people space to go on their own journeys at their own pace, exploring Jesus in the ways they want to explore Jesus. Now, I want to I just make clear something that I shared about last time. Uh, let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because I realise I, I talked about all these different ways of knowing Jesus, and I, I think some people got a bit upset because they thought I was kind of ditching the Bible, which I'm, I'm not. So let me be really clear, okay? There's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's ways. Through the word we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. So there's no doubt that the Bible is absolutely crucial if you want to know Jesus. Absolutely crucial in getting to know him and getting to learn him and all that sort of stuff. But what you do with it after you've read it is the most important thing. What you do with it after you've read it is the most important thing. You see, Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says this, God means what he says, what he says goes. His powerful word is sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defence, laying as open to listen and obey. There are lots of people who know the Bible back to front but don't know Jesus. The Pharisees knew their version of the Bible but didn't even recognise Jesus. And so what happens is some people, because they know they're meant to read this word, they read it and they talk to him, but if it doesn't actually change you, then it's a bit of a waste of time. It's a bit of a waste of time. The Bible is incredible, amazing, vital, and life-giving. But making the reading of it a lot isn't helpful because lots of people have read it and know it way better than you or I, and they do not look nor know Jesus. The issue, the issue is when we read it or when we hear it, what do we do with it? You see, the reason we changed our life groups to review what I've been teaching on a Sunday is because by the time you've listened to four Sunday messages, two life groups, been to a discipleship group, and then spent some time at Dimensions, you have so much word, you are overwhelmed and don't even know where to start. That's the reality. And for a lot of people, they go, well, I've got all this word and it's beautiful, but I, 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 it's too much for me. And then they don't do anything with it because there's just too much. 
Which is why I often, so I preached this like a year ago. And I'm preaching it again because I realised we hadn't understood yet the power of our spirituality. And it's not because I couldn't think of what else to do when I thought, oh, I'll dig that out. It's because actually I realised when I asked that question, lots of people went on physical, okay, well, we need to understand it again then. We need to have another opportunity to be reminded of the truth of this thing. The Bible is amazing, vital and life-giving. It's the most powerful, vital, vibrant book in the world. It's the word of God and in it and through it we see God in his heart revealed for us. But it is a tool. It's a tool for transformation, change, redemption, restoration. But please don't make the tool the aim. Don't make this tool the aim of it. Don't make reading of it the aim of it. Make the transformation of your life the aim of it. I took my car to Steve's this week for my MOT. I didn't want him to get out and show me all these drills and spanners and go, no, I use them all. I wanted him to fix my car. But often, sometimes we go, we do that. It's like, you know, if, if you're so, so up with this word and so into it, but not bothered about actually applying it, it's like going to a mechanic and him showing you all the tools he's got and going, I know, I use all these, and you're driving out with your car still broken. That's what it's like. There is a great danger. We become so fixed on reading the tool, we forget about the truth. The tool is given that we might be transformed. So the question I ask is not how well you know your Bible or even whether you've read it every day this week. The question is, are you being transformed? Are you being changed? Have you seen something new? I know that for a lot of you, I have the joy of working out my own diary. I can take a whole day and go walking on the moors and praying and thinking, and I can do that, and I get paid for it. I am like the most blessed man on the face of the earth. Okay, You don't have that choice. You have to go to a workplace or a school. You have a home to clean. You have kids to look after. You are, you are busy people. And of course, we have time and we can make time and we choose what to do when we all have free time. But I realise by the time I've preached this and you've heard Paul preach last week and you went to Dimensions and if I give you two different things at live groups, you're like, Adam, I've got an hour. What am I meant to do with all that? I understand that. I understand that. So hey, if you are, if you are into reading the word on a daily basis, that's fantastic. You keep going. You'll keep going. That's beautiful. But you know what? There's a bigger question to ask, which is, are you being changed by it? That's the question I'm most concerned about. I'm most concerned about that. Because I know I don't deliver lightweight stuff. That's why people keep leaving. But I know that I don't just kind of chuck something out there that's, yeah, this is not. I know. Every time I'm going... And I know it's painful. Sometimes you just want to go, shut up, Adam, not again. I know, it's okay, I know. I feel it as well. I have to get it all first. I understand that. So, what? I, please, understand me. I love the Word of God. I mean, it's my life. I love it. I teach it. It's my textbook. I, I absolutely love it. It's transformed me. But I don't want you feeling condemned for not reading it when actually you've been transformed and changed. Because if you are, that's the aim. That's the whole point. Now, of course, you need to keep in it. And as you go further with him, you'll need to go deeper in it to get changed. Because at first, it's easy, because all the stuff that are a problem are really obvious. The more you go on with him, and the deeper you go with him, the harder it gets to dig out those things that are not quite like him. And then you need to get more into it, and delve more into it, and get to know him more. So, I just want you to know that I love this book. But more than the book, I love transformation. I love change. I love revolution in people's lives. That's what I love the most. And of course, it comes from here and springs out from there. 
But I would be much more blessed if you told me, you know what, Adam, I've realised I've got some pride to deal with and, I'm, and, I, and I'm, I'm going through it and I'm dealing with it. Then you just told me, well, I've read my Bible three times this week. Well, what did it teach you? What did it show you? What did you do with it? So I want to encourage you. Hey, if you can spend time in this book and you've got space to be in it and take everything you hear and be transformed, you keep going and you do more and more and more. If at this stage in your life, you were going, Adam, I'm just struggling to process what I hear on a Sunday morning. You just process that for now. Keep processing it. Keep reading. Keep learning. Just like Anka was saying, keep, keep the people around you in your disciples groups, life groups, those people who are around you to help you, who can hear the voice of the shepherd better than you can. Ask them. Help them. And that'll all be in different ways. But just, if there's any question you can ask yourself, just ask that one. And of course, if the answer's no, I don't think you have been changed, well, then we need to go backwards, don't we? Into the textbook, into the help, into the teaching, into the life. Shall we pray? Oh. Father, I want to thank you for your word, which is life, Father. It is life to us, Lord. It opens us up to listen and obey. It's helpful for everything. It teaches us all things. It is you, Father. You reveal yourself in it. Your majesty and your awesomeness and your glory and your mercy and your passion. You reveal you in it. And I am so grateful for it, Father. Lord, I am thankful that you gave it as a tool, Lord, to show us those parts of us, that part of our humanity that has not yet been redeemed, Father. That part of our humanity that has not yet lived as you lived your humanity. But I thank you, Father. I want to thank you, Lord, for this house and the people in this house, Lord. I want to thank you for every piece of transformation, Father. Whether they think it's big or small, Father, I thank you that there is change in lives, Father. I thank you that people are getting free, Father. That people are dealing with issues and problems and traumas and anxieties and fears and worries, Father. And I want to thank you for your life that's in this house. And Father, I want to lift up all, Father, all, Father, who came out this morning. And Father, I just pray, Father, that the oil, the oil of your strength, Father, will continue to flow, Father. Lord, you said you were the good shepherd, and as each came, you would check them for wounds, and you would anoint their wounds, Father. Mm. Father, as we anointed people this morning, Father, we pray your strength would continue to flow in them in the name of Jesus, Father. Yeah. Whatever they need, whether it was in the physical body, Father, whether it was in the, in the mind or in the spirit, Father, I continue to pray your strength would flow in them, Father, in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Father. Amen.